Hello, hola, and Ida Hanyani Duhing. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 15th episode of the Naturally Ever After podcast. Like, a little part of me wants to be like, ah! <laughs> I'm so excited to be recording this podcast. But let me introduce myself. So, my name is Nidia Guiti, and by profession, I am a licensed clinical social worker. In this podcast, I share tips to build confidence as you transition and maintain your natural hair by way of sharing my own story and lessons that I've learned along the way in my own natural hair journey. Side note, on November 12th, 2020, I made, I reached my 13 year natural hairversary. So I'm super, super excited about that. Um, I just firmly believe that mindset and perspective shifts how we think and feel about ourselves. And in that process is, is an active process of learning, relearning, and unlearning things. And I look at um, these like parallel processes that are happening as like the sauces of our life and experiences. And, you know, depending on what we do with that, this is how we build confidence in, in our journey. So I'm just like, I, I paused a little bit and I was like, wait a minute, this is the first podcast that I am sharing post-election. So I think it's interesting to, number one, first and foremost, congratulate um, the president-elect and also the historical win of the vice president, madam vice president that we now have, um, Kamala Harris. And I think it's important to have a conversation about being multi-ethnic and what that looks like um, and just highlighting the diaspora as a whole. And I feel like this is a, an ongoing topic that we always have on this podcast about repre- representation in Blackness and what does that mean in certain spaces and what does it mean in other spaces as well, but also what that does for us internally and how we show up. So in this podcast, Brie goes into really, really good details about being someone of mixed race. And even that term is a little bit controversial, but you know, the world sees you as a black woman, depending on where you are and what does that mean? But also being, getting curious about, well, what's happening inside. And as it relates to hair, how do you show up? I hope you enjoy this episode just as much as I enjoyed re-listening and editing and editing it. Let's chat soon. We're gonna. We're we are actively recording. All right, actively. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for the warm welcome. How are you today? I am really good. I just came off a short girlfriend's binge, three episodes. Are you on season one? (laughs) No, season two. (laughs) (laughs) They are such a hot mess. (laughs) Like. I don't remember them being that messy. I think that, like, so I'm watching Moesha. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not better. It's really not. I think that, like, when we were younger watching this stuff, it felt really cool to see, like, the older kids or, like, the older women doing this type of foolishness. And, like, now that we are, you know, older, whatever older looks like, um, or whatever older even means, it's just like. Older than Joan. Thank you very much. It's like messy, messy, messy. But I love it because then I keep watching more episodes. <laughs> Sweet. 
Oh, oh my gosh. So introduce yourself to the people. So, I know who you are, but who are you, Gabriella? Well, I'm so many people, but uh, my name is Gabriella Da Silva Riley. I, I uh, know Nydia from my undergraduate academics. However, we've both, um, you know, spiraled off into our own worlds, and I am currently a vocalist, recording vocalist, and um, songwriter. And that's what I love to do. And I will do it until the day I die, God willing. <laughs> I, I love to, I love to finally hear you say that you're a vocalist. Cause I remember like, like an undergrad, like you, you would never sing in public or like let people know that you were singing. What do you feel changed? I started getting paid for it. <laughs> 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 Nothing like a paycheck to feel legitimate. <laughs> that's that's legit. That's so, legit. To give you an example, why like all jokes aside, no, I just have a big enough resume at this point. So, like for example, if someone wants to be a part of the recording academy, which is, in my opinion, doesn't really mean anything, but you you need to have at least like twelve professional recordings. For example, so at this point, I'm beyond eligible. And now I feel like, all right, I can finally say that I do this. Okay. Clapping, clapping. Hey, I don't hey, have hey. The, the radio button to hear, like, the crowd go wild. <laughs> <laughs> for joining me. Hmm. So, Bree, how did we meet? Well, at least, what, what do you, how do you remember that we met? And I'll share my met. I remember you from various settings but I most remember you like okay I know her name she knows my name when we were in the Iris Club which is an interest group I remember that keep going <laughs> an interest, interest group for the um only multicultural sorority on our university campus of Vermont <laughs> Iris the pie multicultural sorority Incorporated. <laughs> Incorporated. I did not wind up being a, a member for the record, but for other reasons I can imagine. <laughs> so I I do remember us meeting at the Iris Club, but I feel like I've seen you a few times before then. Okay. Um, which is gonna segue to like what part of our conversation because I feel like you and I have been friends since what 2005? Yeah. 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 We've definitely known each other. I'd say we've been friends since like 2006. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? So six months of that 2005, I was I was in a friendship with you that you weren't in a friendship with me. I didn't think you liked me. I was like, gee, I don't know. I don't know yet. Of course, I liked you. <laughs> I think I think that people like. I feel like. I'm just very misunderstood. <laughs> Everybody at UVM thought I had an attitude, and it's just like, to an extent, I mean, I didn't want to be there, so I feel like that spoke volumes, but... You just like had an aura of, I'm not that interested. I wasn't. <laughs> exactly. You're honest. I And I am very perceptive. I was like, all right, we know each other. It's like, there's no bad vibes. Like, we're at a party, like, hey, you're grooving, I'm grooving, hey. But it wasn't like... Hey, want to go get lunch? Yeah, I don't think that you and I got into the, hey, you want to go get lunch until like our junior year. 
Yeah, maybe two thousand, which would have been two thousand seven. Seven. Two thousand seven. Yeah, definitely by two thousand eight, we were like this, <laughs> I'm crossing fingers and like both of my hands together. Like we were close, close by then. We were. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that I would say, and I'm glad that we're talking about this about how you remember it and how I remember it. I would say that we've been friends since two thousand five. Yeah, and I remember too. like we went. I think it was. It was probably this. Well, to your point, yes, yeah, spring 2006, we went, I think it was like the Alana talent show. It was at the Ira Allen Chapel. Yes, when when somebody, I won't drop her name here, but if she has this, she'll know who she is. Her booty was the poppingest ever. Everyone lost their mind. Her what? Her body. Her butt. Her butt looked crazy. It was amazing. That's why that fashion show is memorable because she was wearing this red dress and she whipped around and everybody went wild. It was incredible. Iconic. <laughs> so we are going to. <laughs> it was like, wait, because we started with girlfriends just to bring this full, full circle. You know, the episode, like, I think it's the first episode when Tracy's like, I mean, Joan, excuse me. <laughs> She's like trying to get one of her boyfriends back, and she's like, "And you're gonna miss all of this." Yeah, and she, I remember that. It was. I don't little, remember that at the Alana Talent Show. Though. It wasn't. It just was as iconic of a beautiful body moment. That's all. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for blessing the audience with that information that I have no idea about. <laughs> I know, I feel like talking to you is going to be hilarious. Like, for the people listening to this, the relationship that Gabriella and I have, um, it's very interesting, to say the least. I feel like when we share time together, like, all we do is giggle the whole time. True. It's because the maturity within us comes out principally because we can relate to being the children of our mothers. <laughs> so it's like this childishness and adultness <laughs> come out at once. So talk more about that. I, I always share on this podcast that you know I was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. My family is from Honduras, and I identify as Garifuna, which is a mixture of um, West African, Arawak, and Black Carib. Um, and the parallel, as far as like. You know how Brie and I relate to the younger versions. She's just putting on her glasses. <laughs> and she's letting them sit at the tip of her nose. Oh my God. To, like, turn off my camera if I'm going to look at you in this way. So Brie, what, 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 share with the people where your roots are from. Well, my mother is from the fantastic country of Brazil, which... Well, it's it's a magical world within itself. Brazil's hard to describe because it's the only place like it. But it's a very, it's a principally African country. Mm-hmm. It's just not marketed that way by the population because of, well, anyway, let me not get too deep into politics while I explain where I'm from. But anyway, my mom is a... I mean, it's relevant though. Well, it's just weird because Brazil exists in this paradigm of being such an African nation, but not owning it honestly, mm-hmm. meaning that people are conflicted about their connection to it, where there's a, there's small groups of people that 
use it, even though they don't actually consider the best interests of the population that does truly embrace their Africanness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a population too that is very African that doesn't even know it or that, that maybe that that's not a good way to put it, but I mean that there's a loss of, of the, of empowerment in Brazil that's strange. So anyway, that being said, my mom is Afro descendant, whatever you want to call it. She's black. Um, she's, she, she's sorry. She, she, um, with, and when in Brazil, that means of course she has indigenous blood too, but if we really want to go into ancient history, I think there's an argument that anyone that's indigenous was already black. Um, (laughs) So there's that. Mm -hmm. But she, for example, it's kind of, well, Brazil's just like the most, it's so incredible. And I didn't understand that growing up because my mom had me on a hippie commune in the middle of Vermont which you, having been at the University of Vermont, know that she is a drop of chocolate on a lovely frosty cake. <laughs> and therefore, I, my father, he's, um, he's a part of the ingredients of the frosty cake. He's from New Zealand. <sighs> I would never guess that. I remember when I met you, I was just like, okay, so she's definitely mixed or biracial, I just could not tell from where. Um, and I, I, I just remember, like, thinking for a long time, like, she's definitely Black. Um, but I don't know from where, though. And then when you told me, I was like, whoa, I would not have guessed that. And at the time, I hadn't really come in contact with many Brazilians and, like, people from New Zealand to even, like, guess where you were from. Well, and the more as I read and understand things about African consciousness more clearly, I understand more clearly that part of what you saw in me is like that thing, that flame that's kind of inevitable Mm. when you have a tie to your African consciousness that's just alive in yourself because I could I could have been anywhere and I would still be me because I'm my mother's daughter. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a beautiful thing to understand that full circle in terms of seeing Brazil growing up in the but growing up in the states. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah, being in this funny spot in the middle of Vermont with my New Zealand dad and my Brazilian mother, black white classic loving versus virginia cute little story woo woo (laughs) they really are in love you know they love each other a lot um because people ask me that sometimes they're like what did your mom like see in a white man and i'm like i don't know she fell in love Mm -hmm. and um vice versa my dad always talks about (laughs) he always talks about having this wild trippy trippy experience and uh jimmy hendrix like flying him down and flying him away to this like place where there's all these beautiful black women and he said when my mom walked up the driveway at the commune he was like it's my trip coming to life and um your dad is so he's used to work (laughs) so anyway 
<laughs> that's like the, the the point yeah the, the, I come from good people that that um that believe in love but they taught me how to think and learning how to think taught me how to understand what my connection is to the world through my mother so let's talk more about that connection because you and I have been like definitely corresponding prior to this like podcast recording about like African consciousness and like where do you feel you fit in in this dynamic of like being multi-ethnic but also also like multiracial I think um I recognize that no matter where I am on the planet, people are going to see me differently. Like in Brazil, my hair texture is quite straight. Um, Low-key, I've been feeling Lynn on Girlfriends. Like, hey, Lynn, I forgot about you. Yeah. (laughs) But so in Brazil, I'm going to be perceived one way because of my hair texture. Because a hair texture is your marker your societal Mm. marker um anyway that being said because brazil and the united states are the countries i'm most frequent in my lifetime um simultaneously brazilian culture through music through the syncretism with the orishas and the culture brazilian culture is so it's so strongly African. So anyway, where do I fit in? My thing is I understand people are going to see me how they're going to see me anywhere. So therefore, I pledge my allegiance. Kind of. It's like, what do you care about? Yeah. There's, there's a choice I can make a lot of times in my life to just pass, quote unquote, or just ride the easy wave of what people want to see in me because mm-hmm. it's pleasing to a lot of people's eyes. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I like that ambiguity. Like just a little bit of Negro, fantastic. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people have that vibe and I have the choice to jump on that train if I want to. Mm -hmm. And I choose not to, even though I have chosen to before. Um, Back to, I feel like it was probably the second time I went to Brazil to come visit you. And we went, um, I forgot why we went out but we went out with a group of I guess your friends and like I was the only black visible black person there I remember that and I remember mentioning something to you and I forgot what you said back but I just remember like feeling seen and like not alone in that space and like it just reminded me of like Vermont but like in a warmer country yeah (laughs) And that's just weird when you're in a place that's like 98% black. Right. If you look at black, like they did in the USA, and there's a whole history behind that. Brazil had pro-miscegenation laws, so they had the same disgusting ideas, but they figured they would push mixing because they thought they would be bettering people or something. So the US had this other way they looked at it where they segregated people. Um, but so Brazil, in a country like that, we're there with 98%. Like, everybody around is black, but we walk into a restaurant, and it's all white people, except for the wait staff. Right. And you. And right. me. But people are looking, and they're like, well, not that lady. She just mm-hmm. got a tan today. 
Mm. Yeah. And like, that's a reality. And I get that, but I don't know why I've been so furious since I was a little girl about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But Loki, is this therapy? Because no, Loki, no, I do know. I mean, it's important to know like where we come from and yeah. like how we see things because I feel like it definitely affects number one, our mindset, but like how we feel about ourselves in the context of like public spaces in that way. Cause like I grew up in the, well, born and raised in the United States. Um, but my, a lot of like my childhood, I can remember going to Honduras often and like seeing like what that difference was like there culturally, um, and how I was received because people knew that I was not from there and like coming back home. Um, and then you kind of just bring like ethnicity into the mix. So like looking at me, I'm visibly Brown. I don't think that people i'm not i'm not ever like um i guess miss culture like no one well i am but no one wonders if i'm black like that's a given now the question is black from where right most people don't get that part right and then when they learn that i'm from honduras or like of honduran descent and i identify as gari from that like that ambiguity 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 <laughs> I'm tired today. That ambiguity. What is up with my words? Ambiguity, like your last name. Duh. That word. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, but you're not really black. It's like you know, you're you're mixed or like you're exotic, and like that to me, it, it just disgusts me when people like see black women in that sense, as opposed to just admiring her because she is of African descent. Period. Yeah, it's just know that every time I have made that choice, mm-hmm. I started to feel like I was like having mental issues, deep mental issues. Like, like depression, anxiety, insomnia, you know, like heavier emotions, mm-hmm. a necessity for therapy, not just like, oh, this is a good idea, mm-hmm. like a necessity for therapy. Um, and it took me a minute to realize I was having extreme cognitive dissonance by choosing to, to like pass and just comply with something that's so against everything that makes you who you are that, and you think you're supposed to, cause we live in this world that tells you, no, 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 just like fake it till you make it, do this, do that. You're going to get there. You could change things within you know, like maintain, hey, money is money, get your bag, um, no. Like when you compromise yourself, right. you start to go insane, low key, <laughs> high key. Like, no, so- high, that's real. And I have, I, I've always wondered about like the cognitive dissonance part when it comes to people that are of like mixed race, or have like the, or are able to pass, like when does it start to bother you? Or like, when does it get too much where like people either have to be reeled back in or like they're just far too gone at that point? It's Because it has to bother, I think, I would think. I think it starts, well, I think it starts immediately. You just might not notice. Mm -hmm. I think the second you sign your name on that line, 
Like, mm. those, you know, I'm specifically talking about a moment when I took a certain type of corporate job that I pretty much had to not be myself at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of my appeal was this, like, ethnic ambiguity crap that, like, you know what I mean? It was, like, just gross. But I was like, well, fuck it. Like, I got to I gotta make some cash. This is a great job. Um, but I think the, the second that I said yes, I had already begun having cognitive dissonance. But where it really is, like, glaring in my face, and I know now to catch it beforehand, is, like, when you're truly the bad of the job outweighs whatever good you can do. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you know? And in my case, that was just seeing the detriment my job um, was unleashing on, on, an, on a community that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. I think I remember this job. Yeah. Speaking in code, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, code. sometimes you have to work. And so as a songwriter, like, I don't run into that kind of stuff, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I had this, like, year and a half in New York City where I, like, buckled down and got a job job. And I was like, what the fuck? And I realized that I have done that in music, too, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Skated along, like, in a, in a privileged moment. And in those moments, I never felt good about it afterwards. Like, the work never felt satisfying it was always this like stain in my heart like what did I just do what did I just give myself to mm-hmm. so it, it's like now I'm, I'm older I'm, I'm in my 30s um so <laughs> I was gonna say we are in our 30s early on but I was like I don't know how she feels about letting the people know her age well, you are you know I am a lot younger than you even though we are in our 30s don't do that, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did graduate two years early that's all I'm saying um (laughs) but no that's like I get that now and it took me a long time to understand that even to the point of understanding that I mentioned before the recording academy Mm -hmm. even that stuff is steeped in bullshit yeah (laughs) so what are you really trying to be a part of Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to like shoot myself in the foot here but it's like you really have to look at all of these things and look at yourself within all of those things. And I think that goes, that is very, that is something really serious for quote unquote mixed race people to think about because you pledge your allegiance every day. Right. And cognitive dissonance, just in case for the people that Mm -hmm. are listening, because I know that we're throwing the word around. And I feel like me and you, or you and I, we talk about life therapy stuff on the regular basis. And like, we use like the terms, like, you know, well, sis, blah, 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 or this is that. But anywho, to the people that are listening, cognitive cognitive dissonance, um, it occurs when someone holds a contradictory belief, idea, or value that is typically experienced as a psychological stress when they participate in an action that goes against one one or more of those ideas. So an example could be like um, Brie was saying, um, being a person of of mixed race in a black space uh, or in a white space and then passing for something when you are not being fully forthcoming with what that is. I hope I explained that correctly. Mm -hmm. So like going against what is the truth or what you know your truth to be. Yeah. 
And that, like, the thing is, there's cult, there's ways, like, I've always understood this because I had just my mom in a world full of white women and white men on a commune, literally just my mom, not even an Asian person, you know, nobody. There was one woman later from Nicaragua, like, of indigenous descent. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand until I got older how well I understood, like, the Mike, the weird world that is the United States of America where you have really, really powerful people. I'm talking about black people. Mm -hmm. And in contrast to the world, the white world, it's just, it's just, it's just such an obvious contrast of different ways of being. Mm -hmm. And I saw a bunch of unhealthy people in a commune you know, people can read about communes. They're crazy. And my mom was so healthy and amazing and raised me really well amongst insanity caused mm-hmm. by white people. Not to get... I mean, it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. She wasn't creating anything crazy. She was bringing things down to earth and helping. Right. And I see that so wholly. So it's like so obvious to me. I feel like moseying around the world. I really know white people very well mm-hmm. in every possible spectrum of their existence. <laughs> and I know how that contrasts with the incredible ways of being that come from a black mother's ideologies and just lessons and daily ways of being. Mm-hmm. And you and I spoke about this before about like just the parallel of like being raised by a black mom. And I, I feel like that shit is universal. <laughs> like I think that there's just some lessons that all black moms pass their daughters. <laughs> And sons. It's just like, did y'all communicate? Because I feel like your mom and my mom are like <laughs> very, they don't, they, they don't even like hang out. But I'm just like, in some way they do, in some spiritual deep level, they do. Because the shit they say is, is the same. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I mean, but it's not just them. It's like, it really is. There's something to be said for. I mean, it's just simple though. It's like family values are different. Food there's just so many things that are yeah the frugality <laughs> oh the, the frugality i need the problem <laughs> gabriel i'll three dollars at the thrift shop you know <laughs> no but the i just uh yeah <laughs> I don't know if that answered. I'm like, I, I get, I have such a stream of consciousness kind of mind that afterwards I'm like, what did I even say? I'm sorry. But um, the point I was trying to make is just that there's, there's, you pledge your allegiance every day. That's what I'm trying to say. I was waiting for you to get to that part. I was like, yeah, you answered the question. At least for me, you did. Okay. Makes sense. So on this podcast, we always talk about like mindset shifts <clears throat> and how it, 
how it can play into like just the natural hair space and like you you made some reference to like what your hair looks like mm-hmm. um the people listening to this are not seeing you in the way that yeah. I'm seeing you right now so our hair textures are very different I would say that you are on the loose wave of the spectrum and I would be like on the kinky curly end of the spectrum um and then your mom and my your mom and me I would say our hair is similar yeah so as a woman of mixed race and mixed ethnicity, would you say, you have, yeah, I would say mixed ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Would you yeah. How would you, how do you identify, like how do you feel like you fit in or not in like natural hair spaces as a black woman? Well, I will say that I have always felt like I don't fit in. Mm. Um, and it starts with my mom. It's just like probably comical, but... <laughs> Just like, I think I know where you're going with this, but keep keep going. <laughs> she sometimes would ask me to braid her hair. <laughs> she would, I'd braid her hair and she would just like, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to do a better job myself. So loose. Forget about it. My God. You talk so much shit about black hair and you don't even know how to do it. And then I'm just like, ah, oh, it's true. And she also, though, on the other end of the spectrum, did treat me like a little doll when I was a little girl, just doing basically like news lady Whitney Houston hairdos mm. on me because I had like straightish hair. I just found an old picture. I'm like nine. I look like, I look like Oprah Winfrey. You know? my journey with that part and I get it I do even though I see all the things because I grew up you know just watching my mom do all the stuff to her hair Mm. like even coming to you my mom came to you for relaxer tips I remember that I don't think I ever relaxed her hair though you didn't she did it herself Mm. um I'm like did I ever no your mom has beautiful hair by the way she does you have beautiful hair thank you but as a kid, it's one of those things. Again, my mom to me was the most beautiful woman on the planet. I wanted her hair. Mm-hmm. I was like, clown trade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love my hair. I do. It's, I guess, like, in, in on the opposite end of the spectrum, when I heard India Ari's I'm not my hair, I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I love that song. In theory, I feel like it makes absolute sense. In practice, I think that a lot of people, and myself included to a small extent, at this phase in my life, yeah. um, hair hair is like an accessory. I know. It like it's a beautiful one. represents whatever you want it to represent at that given moment. That's <laughs> true. I think that's why I've always just been... I don't know. I just, my, my, like my brother has the most beautiful hair ever. And I'm like, God, I want your hair. But it's just one of those things that because you're right, it is an accessory and it's such a fun accessory and it's such an important identity Mm -hmm. marker, especially for black women that ending up with straight hair when you're mixed race, you're like, damn it already ambiguous enough and it sounds funny but it's like people always love to crack jokes <laughs> my crowd being like being like oh I thought you guys were so angry because you can't absorb enough sun or like I thought you guys were angry because your hair falls flat like that kind of stuff it's like it's 
funny and it's fun and um and it's okay because there is a privilege that comes with it so we can just relax it's not that big a deal mm-hmm. or there has been a privilege that has come with it so we can just be chill with it but like I do feel stupid though like if I put my hair in corners and stuff I always felt dumb like I love having you do my hair but I always feel stupid like I'm like just let me let me just stop really though yeah I don't know I feel like this is where you and I like we'll, we'll start to talk about this and I don't know that it's ever a conversation that we finish or that yeah. a such thing to finish but like I know I know like when we first met I'm like yeah she's definitely black like, for me, there was no doubt in that. It's because when I wear cornrows, they're loose. Like, they're hard to do. It's not like they're easy. Like, my mom jokes about the way I braid hair because mm-hmm. I'm loose braids, Riley. Even when I'm doing the braids, they come out loose. Or when I have them in my head, they look loose. You know what I'm saying? Just it's like a rite of passage to black girls. Like, if you can't braid, you're not really black, allegedly. <laughs> I'm saying loose braids, Riley. So, I mean, do some jam. I mean, I've braided your hair before, and it does not come loose. I think that it depends who's braiding it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But no, it's just like I see what you're saying, though. Yeah, just because I, I don't know. It's silly. It's it's sort of silly, but it's also an acknowledgement. There is a reality to being mixed race, mixed race. I'm always so resistant to that terminology the older I get because it just, it's so creepy. It just reminds me of miscegenation. I was, I almost prefer to say miscegenated. Like that sounds fucked up, but like. Whatever makes you comfortable. I think that as to that, I feel like as I also get older, like I'm learning certain terms that I I myself don't also feel comfortable with. And like to kind of, you know, bring it back to like ethnicity, like kind of saying Afro-Latina has been a thing for me. Yeah. I don't even like that term because I don't even identify as Latina. (laughs) Me either. Even though culturally, like my family's from a Central American country that speaks Spanish, I don't feel like that part of my identity I align with. I speak Spanish more by happenstance, not because like, hey, I'm thrilled to speak, you know, the colonizer's language. It's like, I speak more Spanish than I do my indigenous language. Like, mm-hmm. And there's a shame behind that. But it's just like, ah, I'm not really Latina. Afro-indigenous feels a lot better. Hell yes. Afro-Latina or Latinx. I and totally agree with that. I agree with that 1,000 million percent. That was one thing I discovered in college because I felt like people kept telling me I'm Brazilian. They're like, oh, go to the Latin Student Union stuff. And I did, and I got all involved. And I like, I was like, I don't even speak Spanish. Everybody's like, what? Well, like, Alianza Latina? Yeah, Alianza Latina. I was the vice president for two years. I mean, well, let me not call it a mess. I was not a part of it. And I never felt welcomed. And I think it was more to do, like, with colorism. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. you guys, man, that's another story for another day. Yeah. I just feel more aligned with BSU, the Black Student oh, yeah. Union. The Black Student Union accepted everybody. I enjoyed BSU. I think, wait, it was my junior and senior year. Was it senior year? Maybe it was. See, look, I don't remember what part of... What e-board was I a part of? I think I was still a junior. You were yeah. our program director in our Alana housing. That was senior year, though. Yeah. 
I was the PD. I was just a loser tag along senior. I was like, I'm not. Well, my two friends are going to be the program directors. Now I live here too. <laughs> <laughs> great times, great times, great times. Um, but yeah, no, I, I going back to the Latina thing. I don't identify with that at all. The older I get, I'm like, what was that farce? Because it's just, it's been a weird instrument of colorism the whole time. It is. Totally. Like, Brazilians are all Latinos now. What? No. And it's just, it's it's so weird because it's, because of the way the culture vacuum works, like, that Latinx terminology is just getting to Brazil in the last, like, five years. And I'm like, what? You guys have never used this. And it's made sense. Don't jump on it now. Mm-hmm. Ugh. But it, uh it is an instrument of colorism because I remember when it first popped up as a term for the census. And then they slowly, they were like, Oh, now we have Latino black and Latino white. It's a way to just keep increasing the white numbers in the United States. Um, One thing I noticed, um, and I feel like I've shared this story with you before. Um, There was someone that we knew in common and (laughs) the story (laughs) that is like oh well you know you're not really black like you know your hair retains water or like your hair curls and it's just like um if I rub look and well the people listen to y'all can't see me but I'm like rubbing my skin I can't rub this color off there's nothing I mean I'm sure like if I had like a lot of money there's ways around getting lighter and not that I would even invest money in doing that but like this is identifying as Latina doesn't make me less black at the time. And like, even then to kind of bring it back to like the cognitive dissonance, it was just like, this doesn't align. This doesn't make sense with what feels right to me. I don't feel right identifying with something that is perceived as less black. Yeah, I understand that. (laughs) Exactly. Like that's, that's sort of how I feel actually more and more about biracial and mixed race because if you look at their origins as terminology they're just ways to create this weird middle category mm-hmm. because white people are or European descended people whatever you want to call them are the global minority and that is a frightening idea when the birth rates globally in that minority are really low like they write about it all the time meanwhile they have weird eugenics stuff going on all over the place so when you look at it in that way and you understand biracial and all these things is weird where when they emerged in the political you know uh, trajectory of this country mm-hmm. they've been weird functions of colorism in this country Right. But they'll they'll strip them away whenever they want to. That's the thing. So that's why I say you pledge your allegiance every day because you can go bopping along hunky-dory acting like everything's great. You can even be someone who's, you're dark-skinned and you're just bopping along thinking, oh no, but they like me. And then out of nowhere, it isn't what you thought it was. Right. Like something that it was just isn't. And mm-hmm. however you learn that, you know, life will teach it to you. What you don't learn at home, you learn in the street or, you know. Um, Ooh, I felt that. (laughs) (laughs) You don't don't learn at home, 
life will teach it to you in another way. And I hope that the boat, I hope that the road isn't bumpy because these, these streets will teach you some things. Exactly. So that's, I mean, I think that's just important to remember that all these weird categories they throw out, like get back to learning the history of all this, like the real, real deep original history of it all. Mm -hmm. And then you remember who you are without some weird arbitrary categories that have been given to you by people that don't, like by people that need your categorization for their thriving. Mm. So it's like, wait, wait, hold on. What? Right, right. It's like, it's like I, I've been really enjoying just there's, there's certain, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone should probably read Frances Cresswell sing at some point in their life, even if they don't agree with her. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'll there's put the link to that book. Huh? description of this podcast no yeah. i said i'm the link to the book the isis papers i'm pretty sure you can get the pdf for free these days on google and stuff and like just even if you don't have time to go read the book just go back and watch one of her old interviews on donahue you know mm-hmm. or donovan donahue <laughs> um you know it's like it's important these people like henrik clark francis cresswell saying Marimba Ani, people who sat down and said, hold on, I'm going to look at the, I'm going to look, I'm going to study how we study. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, what they reveal is that we're all learning things through a paradigm that's detrimental to our well-being. Right. It was made to retard us. I mean that, I mean, slow our capability. Literally, I, I, sorry, that's a poor choice of words, but I, I, you know, I'm a music person. I was thinking about it that way. But um, so anyway, I just think, um, I think it's important to remember that. So that's like kind of the where my thought process is these days with the terms like Latino, biracial, you know, activists. Huh? How would you like, how do you identify? Well, Sorry. Part of the reason why I still say biracial is like to include both. And it's not like to dismiss that one is one is not um it, it's really just to include both. Like I want to honor your mom and your dad. And I mean I've yeah. met them, they're amazing people. So I'm just like, uh, if I say this, like, am I completely cutting out her dad? Or if I say this, am I completely cutting out her mom? Like, it's a combination of both. But then it's like, I don't think I've ever asked you up until now. Yeah. Like, well, Bree, how do you identify? I mean, I've sure. probably, I've probably changed this throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Like when I was little, people used to call me mulatto. So I called myself mulatto. I didn't know it was fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's like, so then flash forward to today. Um, I would say I'm a black woman with a white father. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, but no. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, I met your dad. Well, and then there's people that are like I think in, in certain religions, like your 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 lineage is traced to your father, and and people will be like, oh, but your father's a white one, so that means you're white. And then other people are just like, okay, and. Yeah, that's how I identified. Good shit. I mean, I think it's important to ask as someone who's 
um, melanated, visibly melanated, where like, you know, you don't have to question. <laughs> My blackness is not often questioned. It is sometimes. Um, it's almost like people, people will look at me and just say black. Yeah. And it, it won't, it won't be a question. And then when you have people who are on the lighter end of the spectrum, I always wonder how they identify, um, and ask, you know, when, when it's appropriate and how, how, how do they want to be referred to? Because I think that to be, um, I think of, I don't know, the word that's coming to me is being like misgendered. I don't know what's the translation for that when it comes to race, but like as a darker person, like my blackness is in question. Whereas for you, it would be, and it has been in spaces. And it's just like, do you know who you're talking to? I don't care. That's the thing is like, I really don't care. I used to care. I used to feel like, oh, and it's nice to see. I am left out. I should go find some white friends because I guess I might. <laughs> like, it's just like stupid. And then you grow up and you realize who you are. Mm-hmm. And you realize what you know about who you are. <laughs> You're just like, I get it. Like, because everyone's trying to figure this shit out. Right. They threw us. We're all like, every day we have to like, regrow the thick skin to be like bah, bah, mm-hmm. as we move through information and humans and all this stuff so my patience levels and understanding with all of this are just different mm-hmm. and so I I guess I should say that um getting arrested was when I really understand where I stopped having a question about it mm-hmm. um I was arrested it was fine it ended up being fine but I had a run-in with the police um, like 12 years ago, and they didn't have a question in their minds whether or not I was black. <laughs> and they were really horrible to me because I'm quite tall and big. They were just like, it was just disgusting. And so that was one of those experiences in this country, the United States of America, where I was like, you know, privilege will get you so far in certain moments. Right. But like, you gotta, you gotta like understand. So anyway, that was a that was a one moment of paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And now I'm proud. I feel good in knowing that my current paradigm shift is more of an understanding of what it, what it truly means to be born of a black woman. Really? Yeah. It's like, it's like, a, it's like the most insane infinity portal you could ever consider. It just doesn't, it's like a, an, it's like an, a magical loop that just goes and like these <laughs> it's it's a cycle it's truly is like it's like i don't you can't really argue that black women aren't incredibly powerful like try and argue that go anywhere where black women are thriving try to prove that that's not true Mm -hmm. i'd like to see you do it show me the dethroning because i don't think it's gonna happen Right. And we talked about this, like just our mom's upbringing and like their journey of like coming to the United States and like the the lives that they built for themselves and the opportunities that because of their sacrifices, they created for us. And it's just like, ain't no, you you can't tell me that a black woman is not amazing. Hell no. That's like crazy. I even think my mom was a wet nurse Mm. for another baby. Like, I just, I, sometimes I have that image in my head, like a me on one and, you know, it's pictures. I don't remember it. Maybe I do remember it. But like, you know, 
And she was always like hold, just doing dancing while she's cleaning and holding me and cooking and looking beautiful while it's happening. Like, it's just kind of incredible. And I feel like my mom remembers it differently because I there's things that I remember and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so messed up. And my mom is like, look, I just did what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh. Mm-hmm. That though is where we are at now. We are the fruits of that, of two women that had to just do whatever. They're from different countries and they came to this country that I say it's shit and they made it here. Mm-hmm. And then we're their first children. Yeah. And we have then a responsibility to also be a little bit more free, bow mm-hmm. our heads a little less. That's mm-hmm. part of our responsibility because they That's did that. Privilege. That's privilege. That they worked for for us. Right. To be able to speak and not like worry about being silenced in, in the way that they would have in that time. So I went back home a few, well, last week. I got, I got back on Friday. So when I was home, I, and I love like just sitting down with my mom. And I feel like as I get older, I appreciate these moments more. We get to like just sit down and talk about life. And like my mom shared with me how like when she was 16, um, she moved to the city. This is still in Honduras <clears throat> so that she can work. And then she would send money to her mom to like help with the younger siblings. And then like as she got older, she moved around Honduras and was working like in her early 20s. At this point, she's like 20, like 19, 20. She finds this group of friends and like everyone is saving up to like move to the United States. And like, I'm thinking about like the 20 year old version of myself, not nearly as courageous as her. Like she's already working, she's not living at home and she's getting ready to move to another country. And like at that age, I'm still living with my parents (laughs) (laughs) complaining about college and how hard this is. And it's just like, sis, you have no idea the, the sacrifice that, a generation before you made so that you can be in this position. And I I never forget that ever, ever forget that. And I think that something as, I don't know, some people might view it as minor, but something like citizenship, I uphold so much because, right. Just, just being a citizen and having documentation that like, I don't know, I guess I'm not illegal in this country. And even that, I don't even like saying wasn't, doesn't come from like my own doing this is this is a gift from someone else hell yeah it's like I know in my mom's case she can't relax like she's supposed to be retiring and she's still working 60 hours a week she can't not work Mm -hmm. that's like her mode of being and when I've had conversations with her when I've have had positions where or job offers or something like that she mm-hmm. like, you have to take that the money the money the money and I'm like my brain my brain my brain yeah. <laughs> like I do creative work and she's like yeah but you know and it's like she's always happy for me no matter what I do but mm-hmm. I can see her wheels just like going like like why wouldn't you just just go do that and I'm right like, it is a privilege of choice. Shout out to our moms. Thanks, mom. To provide the privilege of the privilege of choice. And then when we exercise the ability to choose, it's like, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? Girl, you don't have babies. <laughs> and I think the disconnect in, in our generation with them is like you you survive for so long that to teach me how to thrive is not something that it's not a conversation where like we're gonna we're gonna see eye to eye. And like who knows, maybe when we have our own daughters, that's the gift that we give them from our generation to theirs is like, you know, the ability to choose. And now I'm teaching you how to thrive and what that looks like because working to the end is not it. And some, I have a feeling like if I had a daughter, I would probably 180 kind of become my mom in a lot of ways. I think I'd be a hard ass because I recognize, again, from growing up in a commune where one of the rules was like, there aren't really rules, except for in my house, there were rules. Mm-hmm. I want to be sure, because society is so ruleless at this point and like confusing and like you see what you want to see. So everyone thinks they're right and shit. I feel like I'm going to be so <laughs> traditional and kind of bring that, that um, my mom's much softer now, like with my little brother. Ugh, <laughs> that's another conversation. Yeah, that's another conversation. But <laughs> especially their sons. <laughs> but I feel like I'm gonna be so hard because I don't want there's a certain discipline thing that came with our parents' generation that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like grit your teeth and do that I am thankful that I have because I will do anything. Like I've done everything. I've washed dishes clean toilets, made baked food and sold it, like whatever I need to, I'll do it if I need to. But, and I get that from my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just thinking they're so funny. <laughs> they're so funny. Wait, <laughs> Both of them, no, our mothers are just so funny. Hilarious. My mom, if, if it wasn't, and I, I know this to be true, if she, if she would never, if she would have never been diagnosed um, with breast cancer and like the complications from the initial surgery would have never happened, like my mom would still be working. Like she would still be working. Like initially she was still working and it, it got to the point where it was like, her body was like, excuse me, like knocking, literally. Knock, knock. What are you doing? <laughs> they are so the same. What are you doing? You know that is exactly what just happened with my mom. So she's finally going to retire this year. Mm. <laughs> They're like, uh, I think the cutting back that like they don't know how because it's not so much to stop. Well, now it's to the point where it's like you have to stop. But like the gradual, instead of working sixty hours, like can we go down to fifty yeah. and then or maybe even forty-five. Right. And then like and then stay gotta say 30 for a while and and then consider 20 hours later. No, but over time, over time. (laughs) (laughs) I learned in my own therapy is like to say no. Like every time every time a job came up or like a contract, because I work as a contractor, so like even even like while recording this podcast, my phone like I have, I have four notifications of four potential contracts that came up and like, I'm looking at the date and it's like, nope, I can't do it because of this. And I can't do it because of that. When I tell you it's taking me years to get to a space where I've learned to say no to things that are not in alignment with what my bigger goal is simply because I need to rest. Learning how to rest is the, is the juice. <laughs> how to say no is so important because you can't do 110 things at one time. You just can't. I mean, you could try, good luck. But I think that 
when we don't, when we, when we are not intentional about taking care of ourselves, um, and we're not intentional about um, upholding boundaries in the way that they need to, like our bodies will tell us when things are wrong a lot later in life, and by then it could be too late to do much mm-hmm. about it. Because for years, we we haven't been honoring how we physically feel. Definitely, yeah. definitely. That's I think that's another huge piece of all this whole conversation we we're having is um being good to your body like pledging that allegiance to yeah thinking about ways in which historically your ancestors may have eaten versus how we're eating now these kinds of things like that stuff is really real looking into, you know, your cells regenerate every seven years. Mm-hmm. So pledging that allegiance to original medicines and these kinds of things is really important too. Big time. And I, I think about that with my mom all the time too, is because she grew, she raised me pretty much natural stuff. I, I not to, you know, jump on the anti-vax train, but I wasn't vaccinated until way later. Mm. Um, granted I wasn't around a lot of other kids, so I wasn't putting anyone else at dan- in danger, but I also never took a- homeopath. I never took antibiotics. I mean, until mm-hmm. I was in college, I had to, cause my throat closed. That's important. <laughs> but like, I got mono in college and like I took it, I only took it for two days. I didn't even finish the pack. Mm-hmm. So like that, that is, I think a testament she grew up in a way where she was always doing that stuff. Like Brazil, Brazil's like 20 years behind the States. So like people here whose grandmothers lived a certain way, that's like how my mom lived in Brazil. You know, like I find like when I talk to somebody whose family was from Mississippi and they tell me about their grandma, I'm like, Oh, that's how it was for my mom in the fifties when she was born. Oops. Sorry, mom. <laughs> She's 38. Everybody. Is actually like that. He he knows how to whip up like whatever herbs for whatever ailment that you may have. And I would say like my mom is more like she follows more like Western medicine. Mm-hmm. And it's just like before Western medicine was recognized as Western medicine, traditional medicinal things were the the wave. So it's like I don't I don't discredit that at all. I believe that like herbs have natural medicinal properties and all this stuff. I mean, I don't know what they are for everything yet. Yeah. My is that I get better as I get older. Um, but like, yeah. The, yeah the it's, going, it's good to go there before the problems start, basically. Right, right. And my dad says that all the time. Like when I was home last week, um, there's this thing that my dad drinks every day. It's called Giffy tea, And it's like, I, w- I would call it rum. <laughs> but it's not tasteful at all since i can remember my dad has had a shot of that every single day and he says oh because it has medicinal properties and like you know i'm i'm 70 and i'm healthy and he is Bree. like i look at my dad and i'm just like i want to be like that when i'm 70 years old no happiness too yeah he's 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 in a really really good spot and i'm like i like that and i think it's 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 of years of being it's of years of practicing preventative measures to to avoid whatever big illness may come. And like my dad never, he, he'll never to this day, he'll never give me money to go like buy fast food. And everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Go get a home, yeah. Right. Don't ever ask him for money for candy. 
is like, oh, have a mango. Like a mango is better for you. Or like this, that's better for you. I'm not going to pay for that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember to my mom, there was this like cafe. And I'd be like, mom, can we go get an avocado melt? No, I make an avocado melt at home. <laughs> <laughs> avocado <laughs> So true, though. Like that, the the scene in Raw when Eddie Murphy's like with the house burgers. Like that's how I feel, except for a mango. No, but that, like that, 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 the thing about that, that, that. No, the <laughs> stuttering. You were talking about your dad making all that stuff, and your mom being more attuned to Western medicine. Mm-hmm. It's um. I wanted to mention this book. It's called Nutritional Healing. It just has, it's like an encyclopedia of remedies. I feel like you sent that to me. I probably did. You could put the link there too for everybody. (laughs) Send me both links. So when I was home, I read the Spanish version of what you just mentioned. That's the book that my parents have at home. And I'm just like, you see, people are going back to the roots because that's really where the healing is. Yeah. Or where, where, where it can be started, I guess. This That's where everything good. starts. The root. Yeah. Love. Does this feel complete for today? Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can people find you, my friend? Um, you can find me mostly on Instagram at, at Gabriella with one L, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-A. Riley, like Teddy or Sunday, r-i-l-e-y that's at gabriella riley on instagram um no you did not say teddy (laughs) i did i used to tell people he was my uncle and people would believe me Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um i'm also on twitter not very actively but also at gabriella riley um and my album is on Bandcamp. some music coming soon have a single called mar coming out soon with the colombian singer in portuguese and um i am always a wealth of books feel free to dm me i've got books galore up the wazoo if you agree or disagree with anything i said here today i'd love to chat more about it (laughs) i want to thank you for being a guest on my podcast i appreciate you for taking the time today gabby (laughs) Oh, fuck. <laughs> Never call me Gabby, Gabriella. Read to those yeah, no sense. Thank way, you, way back. Thank, Thank you, you for having me, Miss Nadia. Nadia Guilty. Nadia E. Goethe. Mwah. Adios. Adios.